You're listening to How She Creates. I'm your host, Lauren Hooper. This podcast is for the curious, the wanderer and the wanderers, the playful and the joyful. Every week, we're going to explore how to design a life full of creativity and whimsy. Now let's get curious and go explore something. This interview is a part of the How She Creates Good series. In these interviews, I get to shine a light on women who are using art and their creativity to empower others, advocate for social justice, and bring healing to our beautiful world. This series serves to educate, bring attention to amazing organizations, and inspire you to use your creativity for good. Hey friend, just popping in at the top of this episode with a quick note for you to let you know that the next Radiant Art Retreat is going to be launching very, very soon. And if you would like all of the details and the behind the scenes and to know who our incredible guest artist is going to be um, and to be the first in line to get your spot, please sign up at the link below um, or you can go to lauren-likes.com retreat and you will find all of the information there. Um, and I'll be back in a few weeks to tell you everything about it. But if you want to be the first to know, that is the best place to sign up to get the information. Uh, so if you're looking for a little creative adventure to have this fall in October, I can tell you it's going to be a good one and we would love to have you join us. So now let's jump in to today's interview. Welcome to another episode of How She Creates. This is our first interview in season six, I believe. Um, I am really excited about today's guest. You are going to be very excited when you hear where she works and what she does. Um, it is definitely one of the dream stores that I know all of my creative friends love to go peruse around when they have, um, look when they're looking for inspiration. So Erica, thank you so much for being here today. Tell us who you are and where you work and what you do. Sure. Um, hi everyone. I'm Erica Lavinia and I am the senior display director at Anthropology. Um, so I have spent a bunch of years there with that company, really focusing on creating those beautiful visual environments and worlds for our customers, both in the stores and in the window spaces. Oh, we are, I am so excited because I know Anthropology is just everyone's dream store. You know, everyone just loves to walk in and just be so inspired by everything that's going on. It's, they really do focus so much on the art and the display and the experience. Um, and you are such a big part of that. Tell us um, a little bit about your background and, you know, what you went to school for, because I know it's not window display. <laughs> um, and just tell us how you like fell into this role. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I feel like I did almost fall into this role in a funny way, but um, man, my background, I feel like I just grew up in a world surrounded by art. My grandfather was an architect. My dad is a chef in a very artistic way. And I, I mean, I don't even remember a time when I wasn't doing something that involved my hands making something. I um, joke a lot with my team at Anthro that a lot of the sort of like creative techniques or art forms that we'll explore and dabble with and highlight within some of the displays we create oftentimes come from some of those moments when I was really young, where I was, you know, I got a kit, you know, where I was learning how, how to use the sun as a, as a artist and creating things through like solar printing or um, the first time I got, you know, foil that you could emboss into. And so many of those things have ended up being infused into moments of anthro art along the way too. But I just, I love to explore um, as a child. And I also just really loved um, kind of like looking at the environment around me and using that as the, the methods for um, what I was creating. I remember my mom would take us on hikes and my favorite thing to find were those like um, fungi growths on trees and I would on dead, you know, trees that were down, I would never do that off on a live tree, but I would break them off and I would use that as like my painting canvas. And I would make these like mural paintings on these little bits of nature. And so I was always just kind of infusing, you know, art into my day to day in a way. And then I actually went to college, um, for painting, which was a surprise. I had a phenomenal high school art teacher and he's like still one of my kind of like my mentors in life. 
And he had a tough challenge with me because I was a perfectionist. I still am in certain, in certain ways. Um, but I was, you know, and I, I met him and I got to school, I was all about black and white only because it was a narrow color palette that I could really control. And I drew and I, I stippled. So I did all like the little dots of pointillism. Cause again, I could, I could be very precise and control it. And it was my last year being with him. And he was like, all right, we are ripping the bandaid off. He's like, I'm going to introduce you to color and I'm going to make you try watercolor. Because if you try to control watercolor painting, you will completely destroy the beauty of what is so amazing about that method. He's like, you have to release, you have to let go. You have to just watch it sort of do its thing and, and then interject yourself when it's right. But like, it all is about that comfort of being able to be out of control and not be in that perfectionist mode. And it was kind of life-changing for me. And so to eventually end up going to college for painting was like so dramatic and drastic for me from like where I had been, you know, before he kind of pushed me out of that, that comfort that I was in. Um, and so I went to school for painting and probably it was about a year in, I had that moment that I know a lot of artists end up having, which is how am I going to make a living? <laughs> and so I ended up shifting to graphic design. And then I loved graphic design, but I also missed all of the other aspects of art. And so I ended up doing both and I spent all my summers in all these painting classes, you know, so I could still have that whole part of that artistic um, world, you know, within my world. And then I was introduced to photography and I became so in love with that from black and white to color. And so by the end of my college career, I think there was like not a thing that I hadn't jumped into and done. And um, I feel like that really was the 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 starting point for what has allowed me to be where I am now, because um, I don't really feel like I single out one type of art form. I love I love exploring and meandering and um, kind of playing maybe within the boundaries of multiple that you wouldn't think to put together, and all of a sudden you're going to. But you know, college was great for me because I really did try to just take in the plethora of options that were out there and and you know play around with all of them. Um, and then in terms of like, how did I get to anthropology? Um, that was way back when, you know, I've been with a company for 19 years now. And so when I was interviewing and, you know, sending out resumes and doing all that, I'd never been to an anthropology store. There weren't many at that time. And so how I knew them was more from a graphic design standpoint. And so I actually applied because I had seen the catalog and I, you know, I'd seen things like that, the website. And so I applied for a graphic design position. and. Um, even as a graphic designer, I was like an extremely hands-on graphic designer. I sort of made everything and at the last minute would like put it into the computer. <laughs> so when they saw my portfolio and, you know, we talked a lot, it was just sort of this natural moment where there was that aha real realization that that wasn't the right place for me. The right place for me was more in the stores. And so I remember they brought me to the Philadelphia store. I had never been to Philadelphia before, and they brought me to Philadelphia, and they took me to the Anthro here. And if um, anyone has not been to the Anthropology in downtown Philadelphia, it is in an incredibly beautiful old mansion in the middle of the city. And I remember walking into the store and just being in awe of the fact that a brand could be based in a building that has domed um, ceilings of glass and color. And there's, I mean, there's parts of that building that you're not allowed to touch because they're, you know, historic. And it's just, it's such a stunning building. And anthropology could have done nothing but just set their product down on surfaces and it would have been phenomenally beautiful. But instead, they also brought into it this balance of finding the perfect ways of creating artistic environments within this architecturally stunning building and not disrupting that architectural beauty, but balancing and playing with it as well. And I was just sort of floored by that moment. So a lot of conversations later, I ended up uh, moving to Boston and started in um, the Boston Anthropology location, which is in another beautiful old building. And so I was there for about a year. And then this sort of perfect moment um, became available for me. And that was when I heard that anthropology, anthropology was opening a store in Portland, Oregon. 
since I was a little girl, I'd always sort of made this blanket statement that at some point in my life, I was going to either live in Portland, in Seattle, or in Boulder. And I'd never been to any of them. But I just had this feeling that like the core of what made those places them was also at the core of what made me me. And so I asked if I could transfer out to the Portland store to help open it. And they, you know, thought about it and they were like, yes, you can. And then I was like, great, I'll do it. And then I remember calling my parents and saying to them, well, I feel like I should go out and see it now because I just said I'm going to move there because I still had never been. It was just one of these moments where I, was, I just knew, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do next. And so it was, it was a great experience for me because I think it was this moment where I got to be artistic and be an artist on a day-to-day basis for a company that I just found to be so cool. And I got to live in a place that was surrounded and in, embedded with nature all around it. And those are sort of like my two loves from when I was you know, a little girl that they got to blend and meet again. And so I was there for about five years before coming to the office. But I think that that's where I really like um, remolded myself into this person who kind of wanted to always find that balance between those two areas and how they could blend together. Um, And then I came to the office and I've been at the office for about 14, 15 years now. Um, And, you know, I've, I've enjoyed like every, every minute of it. And it's crazy to think, you know, I, I think about how educational college was for me and how much I learned there. I've learned just a thousand percent more working for anthropology. Um, it's, it's one of those places where every day is different. Every day is a brand new challenge. And it's a challenge that we kind of bring on ourselves. You know, we're always saying like, how is it new? How is it different? You know, what are we learning about today that we can like bring into the, the world that we're creating? And so um, there's sort of like this ongoing joke in um, our display world at the office where, you know, we say it's sort of like impossible to explain what we do to spouses, partners, friends, because, you know, it could be anything from figuring out how to make faux fur on a zebra to how to make ice and snow without using ice and snow, or, you know, again, how to learn how to solar print or there's, it's just always different. And sometimes, you know, you'll say just like the wackiest thing is what you spent eight hours doing that day, you know? And so it's just, it's such a great environment for creating, but it's, it's always something where like, you're not only creating, but you're also learning. And I think that's just really fun and exciting. Oh, okay. This is like everyone listening's dream job (laughs) Um, to spend eight hours figuring out faux zebra fur and getting paid for it. That is, that's absolutely the dream. Um, Yes. Your whole story is like the ethos of the, how she creates lifestyle. It's, it's so perfect. And I love um, how you just described and shared just jumping from passion to passion and learning new things and, and not giving anything up, you know, and trying to find a way to make them all work together. And you did. Um, And I'm sure you're learning new art forms every week with what your your displays you're creating um so i love that and i'm a little bit jealous i was thinking can i get a job at anthropology (laughs) i mean it it is a lot of fun i do have to say that and i think it's also fun because um it doesn't ever feel like lonely or you know too big or too overwhelming because i mean i just have to praise the team that I have at the office. They're so incredible. They're so creative. Um, and you know, like no project or no challenge is ever too big because we kind of work through it together. And I, I am just wowed by them on a daily basis. You know, they all come at a problem, a creative problem or challenge, like from a different perspective or point of view. And I think, you know, that in and of itself also makes for, um, incredible end results because we're kind of like pushing and pulling and twisting it, you know, off of our different perspectives and merging all those together for like that end result. But I think it's a lot of fun because of that. So you don't, you never feel like this weight or pressure creatively, like there's so much freedom and like trust in each other that we'll figure it out that it can stay in that exciting place where you just know you're going to have like a great time creating. And it seems like 
you don't have a lot of the pressure from the top. You know, a lot of companies are like, be creative, design something for us. But it has to be in these very finite window of, you know, requirements. And you guys mm -hmm. seem to have a very open, you want to put zebras in the store? Sure, why not? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of like at the core of anthropology, which I love. And that's just like, um, you know, they really encourage us to feel confident throwing things out there, you know, and not ever feeling like we have to stay within boundaries or in the boxes that have been created. And I think, you know, that is like a fun challenge for us, even in and of itself, because we'll come up with something that's sort of unique and anthropology. And then at the same time, you know, for the next season, we're saying like, how do we not even get stuck in that wacky, weird box that we created? Like, how do we bounce and, and push out of, you know, those boundaries and come up with something different? And so, you know, it, it is a, a nice environment for that creative individual, whether it's in like more of the product design or like the field that I'm in from a display standpoint. But you're right, there is a lot of that um, support there for, you know, creatives to be creative and to have the space to do that, um, you know, and, and like push it and not feel like there's the weight of, um, a path that you have to take. Yeah. I love that so much. And let's talk about more of the creative design process because you're not just creating something fun that you like, you know, you're having to work for this huge company, um, you know, and it has to have a purpose and you're probably given some direction, but you have creative freedom and it has to work, you know, within all the stores. So tell us a little bit about, about what the creative process, the design process is like when you're starting to do window displays, do you get given direction or do you just say, make something for fall? Um, so part of my role is to kind of come up with that kernel um, in terms of like the concept idea. And then, um, you know, that gets shared out with the right people and we adjust and offer feedback and tweak and change it. And then once we have that as like the core, um, then my team starts really going. We're, we're sort of one of the first groups to jump into a season because when it gets down to the store level, we have a true artist in every store making. We have to share information with them, you know, well in advance of when it's supposed to go live for the customers so they can be in their art rooms making. And therefore, you know, when you back out from that, like our process basically almost starts out like a year from when the customer will see it is when the ideation process starts. Um, so for example, it, you know, um, Right now, I am we're prototyping holiday display for holiday 22. I just got approval for what spring 2023 and summer 2023's concepts will be. We're about to launch fall to stores in terms of communication. So we're always sort of like in every season, but we start thinking about you know a season almost before it even ends um, in its current year. And so um, I'll start with like sort of coming up with that kernel and. Um, once we have that nailed down and, and like, that's, that's a fun thing for me because, um, it's like, it's a challenge because there's sort of like this balancing act within a concept where you want to be relevant to what will make sense to the customer at that time of the year, but you also want to be fresh and new. And so, you know, if you skew too much one way, they're like, why am I seeing this in summer? And, you know, and you haven't hit that part of it, or if you skew too much the other way, they might be like, oh yeah, I feel like I've seen this before. And so you kind of have to find that, you know, per perfect place in the middle where you've been able to strike full. Um, but then after going through, you know, that process and coming up with this idea, we have a team that um, I think we, we've come up with a process that I really love. And it's evolved a lot since like I've um, been at the office working, but what I love about it right now is it goes through a lot of different phases. And by having phases, it again, gives artists and creative individuals space to be creative without pressure. And that's one of the biggest things I've tried to like instill in our approach throughout my time is like, get rid of the pressure. Because whenever you have pressure, your brain stops working, you know, and you like your ability to creatively problem solve is just wiped out. And so by having a process that takes a decent amount of time, but also pulses in different phases we're kind of baby stepping through it. So you never, feel, you never feel that weight of being like, I have to solve this now and it has to be perfect. 
Um, and so one of my favorite parts of the process, um, we call it material testing. And it's this week where we have these ideas and we're like, yeah, we just want to start playing around with them. And we'll, you know, bring in all these different materials, some with true thought behind them, some are kind of just random. And we just play for a week. And some of the things that come out of it are horrible. And we're like, that's not good. <laughs> Won't do that. But why isn't it good? And what did we learn from this? And other things might surprise us and we never thought they would work. And all of a sudden they work and they lead us in another direction. But it's this week that it's just like, be comfortable playing around. Like there's, you know, there's no pressure to be right, but let's just like learn and grow and almost become more excited at the end of that week because we've let go of things, we've pushed new things, you know, and you just like, by the end of it, you're like, great, I, I have new insight into this season that we want to create that I didn't have before. But I also know I wasn't trying to like perfectly solve any problem. I was just trying to like dabble and understand it a little bit more. And then we'll go through all these different other parts of the process um, as we're pushing it. And one of the things that I think is um, sort of special about anthropology is, once again, I have a phenomenal team at the office. and because they have different skill sets and points of view, um, we're never looking at an idea from just that singular point of view. And so it's never like one note, one-sided. It's way more dimensional and textured and full of life because it has all of our different perspectives kind of blended together to make it what it is in the end. But as we go through the proto process, we also bring in even more artists. We bring in um, some of the artists from our stores, we bring outside artists in and every step of the process, we have new people that we bring in. So it just continues to grow and get pushed and challenged and become better because we have all those different artistic visions that come in and we're, and we never are saying to them, we need you to make this. We have them come in and we say, here's our artistic challenge or problem. Like, what do you think? This is how we started doing it. Do you have a better thought? You know, should we push it this way more? And so they get to become a part of like really getting it to that end place. But, you know, from my end, like I remember when I first came to the office, I had those first few months of being like, oh my gosh, I have to, I have to figure this all out myself. And it was really stressful. And it was when I started to kind of open up and be like, you know what? I don't have to solve everything else. I'm going to come up with part of the solution. And then I'm going to bring in all of these other people to help fill in the other gaps that it got way better because it wasn't just my point of view. And it also, um, I think it was fun for everybody, you know, because no one felt all of the weight. Everyone felt this joint celebration of being able to make something beautiful together. So from that standpoint, we'll go through a proto process and we'll come up with all of these different displays. They could be for the interior store, they could be for windows, and then we have to communicate them. And this is similar, you know, I'm sure to a lot of retailers, but also very different. For us, what we're communicating is basically like we call it our how-tos. It's a step-by-step -step process of how to make something. Because again, we don't, we don't just send out completed you know, pieces of art to our stores and say, hang it up. We say, you know, here's this idea. Here's the inspiration that we love. This is why we want to go after this. This is why it's really special and exciting for us for this time of the year. And here are displays that we made that represent that sort of season or idea, and here's how we made them. Now read all of this and go back to what is the core of what you need to know, which is like, what is your store? Um, I think a thing that's challenging for us, but also really cool about us as a brand is none of our stores are the same. Like I said, like one is in a mansion, you know what I mean? And so we architecturally don't design our stores to be cookie cutter. We design our stores to best use the spaces that we take on and, and be interesting and exciting as a space. And so one of the first things that our artists, our display coordinators in the stores need to do along with their team is understand that store. Like what are my artistic or, or what are my architectural challenges for this space that I need to understand? And then how do I take that knowledge and the information that the home office is giving us and merge it together to execute a display that's going to best feel great in that space that I have. And so right away, you're never going to have something, you know, that looks the same in every single location. And then on top of it, I mean, similar to, you know, the team that comes in and helps us prototype, like every DC, every artist has a different background. And so, you know, um, some might be sculptors, some might be graphic designers, some might be painters. 
um, I mean, you can just, there's just like a plethora of art forms that they're coming to us um, from. And with that, there's all these different perspectives and bits of knowledge and skill sets. And so they're always going to also infuse that into what they create. And so, you know, I, I love being able to kind of get a sense of well, what was your background and why did that influence how you took on this display versus, you know, someone else. And you can kind of see that across, across all the stores as well. So being able to inspire the artists in our stores through what we share is like one of our biggest challenges as well. Um, I think, you know, any creative person can kind of identify with the idea that if you love what you're working on, your results are going to be better. And when you're kind of told like, you have to do this and it's not something that you're super excited about, you're also going to see that in the end results. And so, you know, when we launch information to the stores and we share it with them, what a future season is going to be about for us at Anthropology, so much of it is just getting them energized and excited about it, whether it's learning a new um, art form or figuring out what we did use to make ice or snow or, you know, the fur on a zebra, all of those ways that we share what we did and why we did it and um, et cetera, like that hopefully gives them that sort of energy to also want to make it their own, but make it that much more special for their store because they're also just excited to become a part of that, you know, artistic challenge and problem. Oh, I love this so much. And this process is, you know, the core of what I wanted to talk about in this episode, because I think, you know, there's so much that we can learn and talk about as artists from um, this big process that you guys use. And, you know, I love what you said about the pressure of it, you know, and trying to force it into a certain thing and be in a hurry and only one person working on it, you know, and I'm currently working on a new design um, for a product and it is, it's killing me. It's like, it's too much. And so I, I love listening to this and be like, okay, I need to take a step back and give it more time because I think that is one thing as artists, especially when you're creating for yourself, is you just want to get it done. You know, I just want to make the thing I can see in my head, but you guys are working months and months on, you know, essentially one large project. Um, and I love that you're giving it that space and that's such a good reminder. Um, so I kind of want to break down the process a little more and ask you a few more questions about it. Sure. Okay. So it's May, 2022 right now when we're recording, what is the current display happening right now? Currently have summer in. Okay. Um, and can you describe that design for us a little bit? Yeah. Um, so right now we have our sunflower Earth Day windows in, um, and they are a celebration of the sunflower, which from an environmental standpoint is pretty amazing. Um, this concept stemmed from me. I do this a lot. It's kind of the core of how I start working through a concept. And that's just, I read a ton. Um, and so I was reading about how incredible sunflowers are and probably how no one really knows what they're actually doing. Um, they are able to detoxify the soil around them, similar to actually what mushrooms can do. Um, and so they'll be planted oftentimes where soil needs to be regenerated or stripped of maybe toxins. Um, and they can um, cleanse that soil without actually hurting themselves. And then in addition to that, they're also called the pollinator superhero because they're so tall because their color is so bold because their flower head is so large. They are one of the first um, flowers that all of our pollinators from our bees to our butterflies to our hummingbirds, et cetera, will actually see. And so they're a really great flower to have within your pollinator gardens because they can help to um, pull those pollinators in and then they'll be able to, you know, meander around all of the other flowers you might have there as well. So for us to be able to celebrate the sunflower, we were able to focus on the sunflower, but also tell the secondary story of how important to our environment the pollinators are and how through, you know, supporting the growth of sunflowers and other pollinator garden specimens, you're also helping to support, you know, the life of all of those different um, insects that are so integral to the success of basically the world when it comes to what we can grow and, um, and what flourishes, et cetera. And so it gave us the ability to have this like uh, more complex story. And then in addition to it, what I love to do with our Earth Day windows is find other ways that the narrative can have more dimension and more layers to it. So 
Um, for this window, we're partnering with the Nature Conservancy, and a portion of the window displays are actually made from seed paper that we naturally dyed with turmeric. And when the windows come down, we're going to take all of those seed paper petals, and um, the Nature Conservancy is helping us um, have them planted in different gardens throughout the country so that we can help um, grow you know, more plants that will attract those pollinators and keep them healthy and thriving. So again, it's you know, um, a way into having a window that looks beautiful. I mean, that is one of our core goals is, you know, creating that beautiful environment for our customers to be able to shop in, but it's also trying to do a bit more. It's also trying to educate her so that she can maybe become a part of change that's needed in our environment. Um, and it's also a way for us to be a part of change out there as well. You know, I, um, we've celebrated, um, and called out the need for protection for pollinators um, a few times throughout our, our um, Earth Day windows. Um, the bee was actually the first Earth Day window when I, when I started that um, many, many years ago now, but that was the first concept when I introduced Earth Day windows for us at Anthropology, and then we celebrated them again for our 10-year reunion. And then at one point, we also celebrated the monarch butterfly. And I think what's so amazing is like nature is at the core of you know what we are inspired by anthropology. It's also oftentimes at the core of what we um, will use within our product. You know whether it's the patterns we'll put on our home product to maybe what will be on a dress or something like that. And so for it to be at the core of what inspires us as a brand on a daily basis, it also just makes sense for us to celebrate and want its protection. You know within the environment as well. So this has been an exciting window for me because I think. Through its layers, we're going to be able to do so much from, um, you know, beautifying our stores to also hoping to beautify the environment and, and protecting those um, little creatures that need, you know, a bigger voice that we can hopefully give them along the way. Oh, I love that so much. And we're going to come back to that, that part in a minute, but I want to stick with the design process right sure. now because you're saying so many good things. Uh, okay. So your idea started with sunflowers and ended with sunflowers. Mm -hmm. Is it normally that linear of a line or does, does the process really, really change and how, when it goes out to the stores, do you ever see those windows and you're like, oh my gosh, that's not at all what I imagined, but it's amazing. You know, like it's so different, but still within the theme. Yeah. Um, I mean, linear, I think this one was, you know, was more focused because it was like a, a very specific idea that we had from the beginning. But I'd say, um, you know, for like spring next year, because I I'm just working through that concept right now, I can already envision that one's going to evolve so much once it starts getting into the hands, you know, of our teams. Um, and I love that. Like, I love again, that's kind of like that, like, I don't have to solve it all now. Like, I just have this like beautiful sort of core vision that we have right now of like what we're most excited about celebrating for spring. And then I can already think about my team is going to take it and they're going to pull more ideas and they're going to do more research and they're going to, you know, brainstorm and talk it out with, with, um, other people and like where I know it's going to start to evolve. I can't actually even imagine right now. And that's, what's so exciting. Or so for fall, um, that will launch to our, um, store teams next week. And then, um, the customer will be able to see in our stores, um, mid to end of July. That one is very different from what the concept was that I first launched. Um, not in terms of idea, but in terms of like how that idea is visually represented. It has gone through so many different other, um, ways of looking at it that the end result is like, I'm super, super excited about it. But, you know, if you looked at my inspiration pack that was like narrating the general idea at the beginning and the end result now, um, you can just like see so many changes that must have been made along the way. And that really, you know, again, stems from the different perspectives. And I think that process where, um, you know, like one of the things that when I first started the window proto process, I really focused in on is we used to do it a little bit differently where I would take a few artists in different stores across the company, and they would take on making a window. And it was all about me being on the phone with them, like daily, giving feedback, scribbling on a photo, sending it back to them. They'd work on other things. And I, you know, I kind of realized very early on, like one of the biggest challenges and goals that I have to have as a leader in this process is to make them not overwhelmed. 
because, you know, they are coming in sometimes for the first time and, you know, someone recommended them and said like, they'd love this challenge. And then all of a sudden they have the weight of like, I'm going to come up with an anthropology window that then everyone is going to repeat. Oh my gosh. And the way that we figured out that always staying in this place of being super fun and exciting and not stressful and overwhelming is I broke it down into like micro steps. And it was just all about like, hey, right now we're just focusing on this step. And until we feel really solid with this, we're not going to move on. And so don't even worry about what's next. Let's just focus on this part. And then once we get this part and we move forward, you know, you've got that great foundation of that to build on. And then we'll keep building on it. We'll keep building on it. And, and I think being able to break it up into moments where we're like, hey, we're just focusing on a sketch. Let's just perfect the sketch. And then we'll move on to the next thing. Okay, great. We love a sketch. What's all the different ways that we could vet this idea of, that what, of what we have you know, drawn out on paper with pencil and make it something real in the end? What are all the things we need to test out? Oh, we need to test out what material to use. What, you know, what silhouette and shape we really love, what color. Okay. Those are three different things. So let's break those out and do those one at a time, you know? And so it was almost being able to have those micro successes along the way that I think kept us growing and expanding and pushing the idea, but in a way that was never getting anyone into that place where they could stop thinking because they got creatively overwhelmed. And so, you know, I think that along the way though, what constantly happens too, is you're, you know, you might to your point, like you might end up following a line that's pretty linear from concept to final execution, but so frequently it, it meanders and turns. And sometimes it makes like a pretty drastic, you know, you turn somewhere and, um, you know, and we'll be pretty far removed from the, the early inspiration. And sometimes it stays more similar, but I think we kind of let either of those happen and be great. Like there's, there's never any place where we're forced to say like, but this was the initial kernel. And so it has to stay, you know, rigidly in that same line. And um, to your earlier question, I think we just have a company that allows that to happen. And we just share along the way. And, you know, we'll say like, hey, we thought we were going to do this, but this is feeling, you know, more exciting now, just keeping you in the loop. And then, you know, and it's okay for us to keep working through that creative um, path and journey that we're going on and, you know, make the right changes at the right times um, and kind of go, almost go with the flow of like where the idea is leading us. Um, who do I need to pitch the idea to that you guys need a design show where <laughs> we watch you guys develop this idea. And then at the end, it's all the stores bringing it to life and we can vote. That's I'd watch that. I mean, that would be fun. Um, there, you know, uh, I think we have, um, we have a, a book coming out to celebrate our 30th anniversary this year. And I have to like plug my dad in here because like, I, I swear like 15 years ago, he was like, you guys should have like a coffee table book that just celebrates everything you do. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And now we're doing it. So like you, you throw that out into the environment and the world, who knows, we might have a show someday. Uh, so that would be I very would, fun. I would watch that. That'd be amazing. Um, how do you, do you personally get stuck in your idea of, you know, I wanted it to be sunflowers and now it's not. Do you, do you ever struggle with that creatively internally? Um, I don't think so. I think I used to, and I feel like that's probably a little bit of like the evolution of me is just like, this isn't my personal art. This isn't my personal idea. You know what I mean? And, and I think it's like, when I first came to the office after having been in the field for a bunch of years and I was starting the proto process, like I remember I was getting ready for a call with the window teams and I was pre-sketching out what I thought each of their compositions should look like for their spaces. And then like the first part of the process would be like, okay, guys, like let's do some sketching and then we can look at it together. And I had this moment of like looking at all the sketches that they did, that they came back with. And I'm like, oh, this is way better than mine. Oh, this is way better than mine. And, and rather than being like, I don't know, like, no, we're going to use mine anyways. I was more like, oh, great. I don't have to bear the weight of all of this. Like, let me see what they come back with. And then maybe I, what I can do is almost more mentor them in that moment and push it to even be better than what they came at you know, the first round with, but it doesn't have to be my idea, but I can still help them elevate their idea and, you know, give them a base to work from where I know their ideas are going to fit within the parameters of like what our big goals are, you know, so that it can, 
be something that really is a collaboration between the two of us. And then that, again, like that's where I think you get the best results. So I've sort of like fully let go of that um, need to, to own, you know, what something is. Um, but I also feel like as a team, we're really good at almost like right from the beginning, getting down to like, what, what are the things that we want to protect being a part of what we're going to push? So, you know, you know what you can like let go of and, and change and like shoot in another direction. And you also know like what needs to kind of continue to be like at the baseline of what we're working for. Yeah, I think that's so hard as artists. You know, we we love our ideas and, you know, we want to protect them so much and hold on to them so tight that sometimes it does, it chokes the life out of them yeah. a little bit. Um, so I think that's something, yeah, we're all definitely learning is is evolving in that process. And I love that you guys do that so well um, as a team. And so you mentioned your own personal art. Is there something that you do at home for you? You know, it's funny, right? So I have two young kids, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. And I feel like my personal art has more been, has more transformed into how do I create an, an artistic environment for them to live within and thrive within. And um, I, I've had these moments lately that just like bring a pure smile to my face. Like uh, about um, a month ago, my son who just turned seven um, came home and they had made their own wooden knitting needles at school and dyed their own yarn. And he was showing me the scarf that he was working on. And I just, I had, I just had this moment of being like, I like, I love knitting. I remember when I learned how to knit when I was young. And so I'm like, yeah, like let's have a knitting night and you know, and let's focus on that. Or, um, you know, my daughter is like, she's, she's, I feel like she's a budding artist and it's kind of in her, in her blood. Um, but like, she just loves to draw and loves to do that. So more than anything, I feel like I'm just trying to open up and introduce them to other art forms, you know, that like, I, I just think I flourished being able to dabble and play with when I was young and sort of open up that um, experience and environment for them. I definitely want to get back into more painting than I am doing right now. Um, but I, I think that's like, you know, the thing that I still love is probably still watercolor painting the most because it's still, I'm a, I, again, I'm still a person who likes to be in control. I'm definitely like a right brain, left brain combo person. I love being artistic, but I love figuring out a process that lets you be mostly artistic because the process is going to tell you what to do operationally at all time. You know, like I put everything in my computer, my computer sends me a reminder and like, got it, got it, got it. And my brain doesn't have to think about that stuff. And it can just kind of stay in this creative place. But watercolor is still that thing, even to this day that like, again, like kind of forces me to like, let go and, you know, be a little bit more loose. And just, we've done some fun displays over the years that I think are also like me giving that release to the company as well, where we did a window one time that was about ice dyeing. And, and even for the display teams, like we had to, we had to do, we like launched this video that was all just about like, it's okay. Like you can't control this. You can't, you can plan a sketch and then you could just have to go that might happen or they, that might not happen. And instead I'm going to put fabric down and I'm going to pour a bunch of dye on top and I'm going to put ice on it. And then I'm going to sit it out in the sun and I'm going to wait and then I'll see what it looks like in the end. And it's, it's so freeing to have moments like that. So I think, you know, I'm trying to create an artistic environment for my kids that allow them to have sort of that playful freedom and then, um, you know, bring that back in for myself as well. Cause I think it's such a nice balance to then, you know, when you're in a corporate world and you have to be, you know, more on for everything to kind of have that, that looser side where you just watch color bleed or you watch things, you know, so sort of more, um, out of your control, create beauty. That I think that's like the perfect creative challenge. I always like to give a creative challenge in these episodes. And, you know, if you feel like you are really, um, stuck in that control place and things are not going well, do something like ice dyeing, do mm -hmm. something like watercolor, you know, paint an abstract, you know, do something where you don't really have all the control. Um, and I think that is such a good reminder for me when I get, you know, really stuck is like, do something I can't control, yeah. you know, and just watch that process and remember the enjoyment of it and the surprise of it. Um, and so I hope you guys listening will remember that tidbit and do that when you guys are feeling stuck. Um, that's a great creative challenge. I love that you mentioned that. 
And let's talk more about um, the reclaimed and recycled part of anthropology's um, kind of mission in your um, displays. And you mentioned that too about Earth Day and conservation and advocacy. Um, so this will be part of my How She Creates Good series. And so it's where I highlight uh, different people and companies who are using creativity to create good in the world. Um, and so I love that anthropology is doing that. So can you give us a little bit um, behind the scenes of how that works? What are you guys using? Where are you finding these materials? Sure. Um, I think it stems from a, a few different places. So, um, well, one, so the Earth Day window started, I think it's thir 14 years ago now with, with the B window. And I remember when, you know, I had just been, I just joined the office part of Anthro and I was probably here for a few months and I was reading an article. I, you know, again, I read a ton, but I was reading an article about the bees and, um, I was just emotionally like struck by the plight of the bee. And I had this, this sort of moment of thought where, you know, I, I was thinking, okay, so now I'm at the office for anthropology. And what comes with that is a stronger voice and a voice that if I can help to push the brand and our potential, you know, there's something amazing to being able to say, like, how can art be more than just art? And so I remember coming in and pitching to my boss and my boss's boss, two lovely women who I lean on creatively to this day. And, you know, I said, I, I think we could do something cool as a brand and we could introduce an Earth Day window. And what if we had a window that was about bees? And so the goal of it would be, you know, to make something beautiful, but also to share facts with our staff and with our customers. Like, you know, imagine if like, a customer comes into the store and says, oh, I love your window. And they could say, it's about the bee. And the reason that we're celebrating the bee and, and wanting to protect it is because of, and they could, you know, start to have this more in-depth conversation with a customer, with a customer leaves, hopefully with a shopping bag and she's bought something, but she also leaves with a little bit of knowledge. And so to kind of put that extra layer of a challenge or a goal on our window I was really excited about. And so then, you know, this many years later, we've done so many Earth Day windows and along the way, taken on different versions of challenges alongside them. And I always, again, like to kind of see what layers we can build onto our Earth Day windows. So it could be material and how is our material sustainable because it's all about upcycling. Like we did our Earth Day window last year was about um, beach cleanups and keeping our, our water's edges um, clean and beautiful and celebrated. And so, you know, we made these beautiful windows and so much of the material palette was through gathering materials that would have been thrown out in the trash, um, and finding another life for them. And so I love to think about how anthropology and the materials that we use can represent a chapter in their life and not their story. And so hopefully in amazing moments, we're not their first chapter. They've had a chapter beforehand. Then they are, you know, celebrated within our stores, either interior windows. And then in the best cases, they also have future chapters as well. But to give our windows the ability to be, to stem from materials like what can you do with a can? What can you do with a plastic bag? You know, what can you do with the recycled cardboard um, that comes in with all of our shipment? Like what what can we how can we challenge these materials to have something else cool? that they're able to be transformed into, but on top of it to be sustainable and also to have that moment for the customer where we call it ordinary to extraordinary in our world. So where, you know, she can from afar look at something and be like, oh, that's a beautiful installation. But if she can also then get up close and have this whole other experience of recognizing the material as something maybe ordinary that is in her to day to day that she never thinks twice about that maybe she would use and get rid of and seeing that there's some other potential within it. That is something I think to celebrate even in and of itself, because, you know, not only do then we give another chapter or another life to a material, but maybe she'll be encouraged to do the same in her life. Um, so we've had moments where we've taken envelopes and 
literally sewn them together to make quilts. We've taken, you know, I, I joked, it was like, as if you shopped only at an office supply store or a grocery store and like, how do we make wildflowers out of that? And we've got all these like random things. And, you know, so it's these moments of kind of the awe and shock of her being able to be surprised by the material that made it because that ordinary doesn't look ordinary. Um, you know, and so I think it's, it's kind of like a combination of a lot of things that I love within you know, how we can play with materials and um, broaden their understanding in terms of like what their use is. We, we oftentimes also joke that as a company, like sometimes we'll go, you know, into any random store and say, hey, we're looking for this. And we instantly get that question of like, well, what are you going to use it for? And it's always sort of the answer is like, not what it's supposed to be used <laughs> for, I guarantee it. Um, you know, because we're always kind of challenging what else what other potential does this material have above and beyond what its normal function or use is? And then we also have a, a, a program or a process that I started um, when I got to the office, which we still do and I love, and that's our display donation process. And so that's part of also how we ensure that, you know, the displays that we create in our stores don't end up in the trash afterwards. And so when something comes down, it could be broken into its basic parts so we can reuse it and retransform it into like a whole other chapter and make it a brand new display that'll go up in our stores for a future season, or it could get donated and we'll, we'll allow um, customers to adopt things for a donation to our nonprofit partners at the time. Um, and that's a way of being able to, you know, ensure that it will be able to be beautiful somewhere else. Um, but also allows us to have that strong partnership where we can celebrate and support organizations that we really care in, or we'll donate them to nonprofits. We have, you know, displays that are in um, hospitals and libraries and schools all around our, our store communities. And it's, it's really a strong way that, you know, we can, again, ensure that display doesn't end with us and art piece doesn't end with us, but we're also helping to create a really beautiful community engagement um, with all of the businesses and customers and people who surround our stores. See, this is why artists exist, you know, especially artists who are creating good in the world with their creativity, you know, because we've all seen, um, you know, ocean cleanup displays and they are just bags of trash that came out of the ocean, you know, but you guys do it in such a beautiful and engaging way that really gets people's attention and, and kind of flips the script on that. I love that you guys are donating to, you know, local places. I mean, we don't have time to talk about all the research that goes into, you know, people heal faster, children learn better in beautiful environments. Um, and so I just love that so much. And tell me, you know, why does any of this matter? Why does anthropology have a huge team of people? They have an artist on staff in each store. Why can't I just go in and buy something off the shelf? Why is it this whole experience that they're creating? Um, you know, I, we've always sort of wanted to be like the respite for our customer. You know, we, um, we have the things that we talk about um, you know, when we're talking about the environments that we create for our customers, I love like one of the biggest things that we talk about is how long does the average customer stay in our store? And like, we would love it to be like an afternoon, you know, she wants to spend time with us where, you know, she gets to explore and meander and feel like she can, you know, kind of have, she can have that breath and that space and, you know, really just be transformed or, or, um, relocated to another whole place for that time when she's with us. And so, you know, to be able to create that sort of positive mood and vibe for her to be able to enjoy herself in, I think is like one of our goals. And so, um, you know, I, I can't imagine, I mean, even thinking back to when I started, it is crazy to be able to say that, you know, I get to create all day and get paid for it, but it, it's a pretty unique situation, you know, where artists can be artists, they can learn. Again, I, I feel like that's so exciting to just be able to like grow as an artist on a day-to-day -day basis too. And, um, you know, to feel so proud of being able to put smiles on our customers' faces. Like we've had so many moments where we're like, what is our number one goal? And we're like, to make our customers smile, you know? And so, so much of that is like, I think so unique to anthropology where like, we're not just trying to we're trying to make sure that she can find what she's looking for. Um, but at the same time, like we actually want her to explore and discover us and ask questions and want to see things in our store and, you know, repeat them in her own home. We used to have, 
early on as a company, we used to kind of say like, don't take pictures, you know, we don't, you can't take any photos of what's in our store. And this was years and years and years ago. And now we're like, no, take a ton of pictures. We're actually going to share on our social channels, like how to make what you just saw in the store. Like we'll give you the step-by-step of how to make it in your own, you know, in your own home. And so I think like our vision now is like, how do we create more, more creative environments out in communities by like bringing our customers in and helping her to make with us, to be inspired, to make in her own space. We have, um, we're bringing these back for fall, which I'm really excited about it as well as it's our display workshops and stores where, um, we invite customers to come in and just make with us for, you know, an hour or two and like learn why we're doing something and what we're doing. And then she can come back and see that what she made is part of a display in our stores. And so again, just to kind of be able to have that interaction with customers, I think, you know, that's a big part of like why that layer is in our stores is to just deepen the relationship, that creative relationship that we can have with our customer where, um, you know, we can share a lot of different sides of having that sort of lifestyle and how we want to be a part of, you know, broadening hers. So um, I don't know. I think it's, you know, it's, I think it's unique to anthropology. And I also think it's just something so incredible that kind of sets us apart is that, you know, it's, it is truly like an oasis when you go into our stores in terms of what we're trying to do, you know, with those environments. Oh, and that perfectly leads me to my number one question I ask everyone is what does living a creative lifestyle look like for you? Because that's definitely what you guys are developing at Anthropology. but what, what's your take on it? Um, I would say it's openness to play um, and, you know, just to kind of explore. Like I just, I love, you know, being able to have space to dabble and try something new and not feel the discomfort of, of failure along the way. Um, and again, this coming from someone who loves a process, I also think it's like creating an environment where like, as soon as you feel like you have a formula, you've got to break it. You know, you've got to like, what am I going to do to change this? So I surprise myself, I surprise others and, you know, and it, and it feels like it's got that fresh twist on it that'll change. Um, Cause then I think that's when you grow as an artist too. You know, if, as soon as you kind of say like this works and so I'm going to keep doing it, you sort of plateau and, and you lose that energy behind what you're doing or why you're doing it. Um, and then I think the last thing is like not sticking in like one path either. So um, my husband's parents, I've, I've like, art everywhere around me. I feel like my dad's a chef and then my husband's parents, one is a painter and one is a sculptor, a potter. And so it's just kind of like all, all around me. But like, I love that, you know, to your point, you were saying earlier, if you get kind of stuck in a project, sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to go bake and I'm going to do something creative, but in a different, you know, form, or I'm going to go work in my garden and plant some plants and think about the color story or the highs and lows of like what I'm doing in the garden. And so, you know, I think for me, a creative lifestyle is not just being like, you know, what am I as an artist in the art form that I, you know, typically use, but how can I create creativity in my environment through all these different points of views or perspectives that you can kind of meander in and out of um, on a daily basis? Oh, that's, Perfect. Such good advice. Um, so my last question is, what advice would you give to a new creator who has a big idea, but they're afraid, um, or maybe they don't know where to start, how to start bringing their vision to life? Because you are definitely an expert at this. Um, I, yeah, that, I think the biggest thing is a project is going to seem huge until you break it down. And when you break it down, all of a sudden it's not huge. It's just a lot of small little wins that you need to, you know, baby step through. So that's been like the biggest thing I think for me. Um, like right now we just bought a new house and it's a completely different style than I'm used to. And so I'm like learning how to be comfortable, you know, designing for the new spaces that we have. And so even for me, like saying that out loud as like, oh, I need all new furniture for my new house. Like that's overwhelming. So, but I, you know, but I've been trying to like baby step my way through that. Like, well, let's, you know, we got some new books on like the architectural style of our new home and like, we're learning a little bit and then meandering through like other places to buy things or make things. And, but so I've even had to kind of like baby step through that challenge. So it doesn't feel too big and too daunting. And so I, I that would be my biggest suggestion is like, don't 
only think of the big, like you have to think of the big project, but then all, what could be all of those smaller goals that you could have along the way. And then you just start with that first one. And that first one is going to give you confidence to then step to the second, to the third, to the fourth. Oh, that's so helpful. Is there somewhere that we can find you? Do you share personally online? I actually don't. I'm a little bit more of a quiet person for the most part. Um, I have an Instagram account, um, but I, I am not like a big sharer. I think um, I'm just a little bit more quiet when it comes to that stuff. Um, but I would say if you want to see um, anthropology and display and don't already know about this, the um, on Instagram, hashtag anthro windows or hashtag anthro display are really amazing um, channels to go and look at because that's where our display artists and stores share all of their behind the scenes. And I think it's so incredible to, you know, just again, see and be reminded of the fact that um, this is someone's individual personal hands in each of our stores, you know, making these beautiful moments for our customers. So I love being able to see their sketch and like them working out in the space or I mean, every store has an art room so you can see their art rooms and sort of the chaos of, of creation and back of house and things like that. Oh, that's perfect. Yep. So I'll link all those hashtags and all of that in the show notes. Um, Erica, thank you so much. This was the most fascinating and encouraging episode. I really appreciate you sharing with us. No problem. I was happy to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Well, you guys have a great day and thank you for listening. We will see you next week for another episode of How She Creates. Thank you so much for listening to How She Creates. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to know more about the show, please visit lauren-likes.com slash podcast and be sure to sign up for the newsletter to know when new episodes are out and to stay up to date with all of the crafty creative happenings around here. If you would take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes, that would be so helpful to let me know what you thought of the show and share with all your friends on Instagram by tagging me at Lauren Likes Blog and using the hashtag HowSheCreates. Until next week, I hope you get curious and go explore something.